America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. We're going to cover issues facing real Americans outside the bubble, from big tech to the Biden administration's failures in Afghanistan. So, Senator Cruz, can I call you Ted? You can call me whatever you like. Thank you for being part of my podcast. We'll talk about yours later, but I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, But we've got a lot of serious stuff happening in our country right now, in our our world. And you sit on Senate Foreign Relations. I want to get your perspective right now with what's happening in Afghanistan. Obviously, the tragic loss of life. But also, what led us to this Mm -hmm. point that— I'm sure you believe that I think many Americans yeah. believe was preventable. Uh, it was preventable. This this has been an enormous catastrophe. Uh, it's been horrifying to watch what's unfolded in Afghanistan. And, and I think what has happened there is a combination of two things. Number one, it is the radical ideological extremism of Joe Biden and the Biden administration. Yep. That they are unable to recognize that the Taliban are terrorists. Uh, you know, several days ago, I was on a conference call with the Secretary of State and with the Secretary of Defense and with the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And they were talking about all of the steps that the Taliban needed to take in order to be welcomed into the community of civilized nations. And, and it, I, I laughed out loud. I mean, I mean, I mean it is it, – it, it's like it's, it, it, it's a group of 60s radicals in, in a college faculty lounge. Doesn't it seem like their their foreign policy is theory based on theory and reading books and not actually on action and listening to people on the ground in real time? It, it, it's naivete that they don't understand that weakness is provocative. Mm-hmm. So, so for any enemy of America, the approach of Biden and his team is the more they are an enemy, the more we should give in and surrender to them. And so they start with the Taliban. They think the Taliban want to be the toast of the town at the United Nations. And they don't understand the Taliban are religious zealots and they want to murder us. Yeah, they but, say death to America. Uh, it's pretty clear. It, it uh, you know, I'm reminded years ago during the Obama administration, there was an editorial cartoon and it was the Ayatollah Khamenei in, in Iran saying death to America. And the cartoon had John Kerry saying, can we meet you halfway? <laughs> These guys are naive. So I'm going to step back a little bit because you keep seeing Biden go in front of the cameras for the yeah. few minutes. I, he he does. I say mm-hmm. he was an MIA candidate. Mm-hmm. Now he's a CYA president. Mm-hmm. But he constantly says, I inherited this. I had no choice. So can we just talk about there's a difference be, between believing that we needed to step out of with Afghanistan versus how it was executed. Absolutely. And listen, I am, I am one who believes it was time to leave Afghanistan, that, that 20 years is long enough that we should not be engaged in forever And most wars. of Americans feel that yeah. way. Yeah. But, but that doesn't mean that you do the drawdown incompetently. And, and what we see with Biden— whether in Afghanistan or whether on our southern border, is radical extremism combined with manifest incompetence. So if you're engaged in a drawdown of the troops, 
by all appearances, no one in the Biden administration even thought to ask, how do we evacuate the Americans? There was no plan for evacuating the Americans. And part of the reason there was no plan is because they're so ideologically extreme. They didn't understand the Taliban would try to kill us. Yeah. So, so they weren't aware of the threat. They didn't plan for it, that there was no plan uh, to help the Afghans who had assisted us get out. There was no plan to vet those refugees. And, and there really, there are two decisions that I think are most inexplicable. The first was the decision to give up Bagram Airfield. Yes, absolutely. Um, Bagram is a secure military base in Afghanistan. We built it. We put over a billion dollars of taxpayer funds into it. Okay. It has a secure perimeter. I've been there. Um, it has two world-class runways. And Joe Biden simply abandoned it. And he In the middle of the night. It was bizarre. They literally, the Afghans went to sleep. They woke up. They looked around and said, wait, where are the Americans? That's just crazy. And we were just gone. And, and nobody stopped to think, wait a second. If we're going to have to evacuate tens of thousands of Americans, maybe it would help to have a secure military base from which to do so. And what that resulted in, those two runways now the Taliban controls. They control all of Bagram. They just took it over. That meant every evacuation had to go to the single runway at the Kabul airport, which is in the middle of a dense urban environment now controlled by the Taliban. And put a huge target on the back of our military men and women on top of the people trying to flee who are densely, yeah. you know, put together. Obviously, the servicemen and women who lost their lives this week. Uh, the decision to give up Bagram played a big part in that. That if we'd been if we'd been in a military base that is safe and secure and designed to withstand enemy attacks, uh, I think it is quite likely that that you either wouldn't have seen the attack or it would have been much less successful. So I think the question that that I have, and and I don't know if you know, obviously mm -hmm. being Senate Intelligence is. Were there people countering this mindset? Weren't there military professionals saying, why would we leave Bagram? Was Joe Biden the final decision maker on this? Was he overriding other viewpoints? So nobody wants to answer that question. So, for example, we had a call uh, a couple of days ago with, with all 100 senators and with the State Department, Defense Department, the White House. And one of the questions that was asked is, who made the decision to abandon Bagram? Nobody would answer it. Really? Uh, if you look, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he made a statement a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and he used the passive voice. The decision was made. Um, you know, it's, it's like you remember Nixon during Watergate, the phrase, mistakes were made. Anytime someone uses the passive voice, they're giving you— They don't you want a, to take credit. That's exactly. They're trying to hide the actor. Hmm. Um, it is a very important question. I think there are two and only two possibilities. Number one— there was a massive failure of intelligence and military planning. Or number two, the intelligence and military planning predicted what would happen, that the Taliban would take everything over rapidly. And political operatives overrode that intelligence and didn't care. I think the American people deserve to know which I is do which. Too. So two things I would say. Do you think there should will be, should be investigations? Yes. I mean, I think there has to be, right? Yeah. Is there an appetite from the Democrats to have that as well? You know, it's hard to say. I think there needs to be serious public hearings. I don't think the Democrats will be able to avoid at least having a couple of hearings. I think they want to cover it under the rug. Could this come out in a hearing, do you think? Do you think you'll ever get to the bottom of... Will the military leaders ever out the president for overriding their recommendations? So it's interesting. They have to some extent. If you look at what General Milley said publicly and you look also at this briefing we had with, with all the senators a couple of days ago, um, on the question of Bagram, 
what they said is they were instructed to draw down the troops to a level that they had a binary choice, either maintain Bagram or maintain security at the embassy. And because they had to keep the embassy secure, they said they just didn't have the troops to maintain Bagram. That's a little bit of DOD throwing the White House yeah. under the bus. Now, now, if that's right, you know, frankly, the military leadership, General Milley said, should have said, I'm not going to do this. And, and there does come a point where you have to stand up and, and be prepared to resign. Exactly. Uh, if you're ordered to do something that is going to jeopardize Americans. And, and we need to know what the conversations were there. You know, we did see something fairly striking, which is a bunch of State Department officials sent a letter to the State Department explicitly, Prior to this. yes, disagreeing and saying this is a disaster and it's going to endanger America. They Americans. sent a warning flag yeah, that yeah. was ignored. So who should be held accountable? Should Blinken resign? Should Austin? I mean, I know there needs to be an investigation first, mm -hmm. but right now we can't look at this as yeah. anything other than a catastrophe. Yes. It's crazy to me that they're patting themselves on the back saying this is the mm -hmm. largest evacuation in history because you failed. Right. We're having to evacuate in a dangerous circumstance, and we just lost 13 military mm -hmm. servicemen. So who is responsible? Who should be held accountable just on broad surface right now when you're looking at it? Look, the president is always responsible. Yes. And there was a second decision that is every bit as inexplicable as giving up Bagram. And that is, it's been reported this week in multiple news outlets that the U.S. military gave the Taliban a list yes. of Americans and of Afghans they wanted out. Now, if that's true, I haven't seen the administration confirm it explicitly. I had hoped to ask that question in the briefing we had, and it did not, not get to me in the questioning. That was the question I was going to ask. If that's true, it is a result, again, of that ideological they think the Taliban's like patty cake. They're going to be fine. And th that is, especially for the Afghans, it is effectively a hit list, a kill list. If you're telling the Taliban, here are all the Afghans who provided the most help to us. It's a death sentence. Uh, it, it, it is hard to imagine that, that people and perhaps a lot of people are not going to die because of, of the massive incompetence of this team. Now, look, what's Biden going to try to do? They're going to try to find a sacrificial lamb. If I were to guess, I'd, I'd say Secretary Austin, the defense secretary, is, is first on, on the, the sacrificial deck, mostly because Blinken, the secretary of state, is pretty tight with Biden. He is, yeah. Uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security yep. advisor. If it's the three of them and somebody has a short straw, the general who no, none of them know very well who they made sec def – it's going to be the first one be the that voted off the island. But that's not nearly sufficient. Uh, it, it seems to me, you know, Joe Biden needs to take responsibility. Well, I he mean, said I, the buck stops with me, and then he yeah. comes up with a million excuses. It's and all he, Trump's and fault. And Everything's always, Trump's fault. There were only two choices. Yeah. There were only two choices available. One, ramp up. You know, we had to do the, the terms of withdrawal that were set before I got here. Well, he's gotten rid of every other Trump policy. So let's not pretend that that's even the case. There is only one commander in chief, yep. and that is the president. Joe Biden is the commander in chief. You and I both wish he wasn't. Yes, we do. But he is. And, and the idea that, well, I had to follow through on my predecessor's policies. No, no, you didn't. And, and I don't believe for a minute that if Trump were president, he would have given up Bagram before we evacuated people. I don't Never. believe he would have disregarded the military advice. The whole point of this was Biden wanted to give a speech on September 11th. Exactly. And, and it was political triumphalism. 
And you know, one of the reasons that happens is because the media are such loyal protectors of the Democrats that they're not used to, to being held to account. They're not used to hard questions because the media are like the Praetorian Guard. Look, on the Republican side, you assume whatever you do, you're going to get 50 million quest, press questions. And attacked every yeah. which way. And, and you know what? In some ways, that's good. That disciplines us. I, I mean, anything you do, do at the RNC, you know it's going to exactly. be attacked. Exactly, yep. And so you hopefully ask the extra question. And and I also have no doubt that, that when it came to the Taliban and, and attacking Americans, one of the things that, that President Trump was very effective in is if you go after Americans, you're going to die. You're going to die. And like Gen Soleimani. General Soleimani discovered yep, that. He knows that. And, and the Biden folks, look, it's not just the Taliban. It's Iran. It's Russia. It's China. It's North Korea. They demonstrate weakness to all of them. And, and they believe appeasement is smart and enlightened, and it, it invites conflict. So I have two other questions for you. One is just from a national security standpoint, they've released all these prisoners that the Afghan military was supposed to hold. All yeah, they, yeah. Yesterday in the briefing or two days ago, they said there were thousands of ISIS-K that were released. What does that mean for terrorism in the, in the world, and what's that going to mean? And then second, what are our allies thinking right now? They're horrified. I mean, look, you, you don't have to ask. You can you can turn on the TV and look at the British House of Commons where, where, where we're being denounced as weak and ineffective. Um, our allies are looking at America and saying, you can't count on America. And that has real consequences. But, you know, even more troubling than what our allies are thinking or what our enemies are thinking. Right now, Putin is feeling energized. Right now, she and China. I think the chances of an amphibious assault from the Chinese army on Taiwan hmm. have increased tenfold in the last three weeks. Because she's looked at, looked at Biden, he's taken a measure of the man, and he said, you know what? If our ships attack Taiwan, Joe Biden will do nothing. He'll send a stern letter to the United Nations, and that'll be the end of it. And it, and it would be catastrophic to see Taiwan fall to China. Absolutely. And the chances of it go, have gone way, way up. The chances of hostile actions by Russia and Iran and North Korea and China all of them have increased because when you're weak, people respond with aggression. And, and these guys don't understand that. And he left a huge opening yeah. and he has projected so much weakness to the world. And it has made, and I believe this, America is less safe today because Joe Biden is our president. I, that, that is absolutely right. And by the way, look, the strength of Trump. Trump was unpredictable, but unpredictable has, has a virtue a, to it. Yes, it does. Because if you're a bad guy, you're sitting there going, okay, this guy could blow me off the face of the planet. And, and the thing the left doesn't understand is what Reagan called peace through strength. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. In eight years, so the left said before Reagan was elected, he's this crazy cowboy. The biggest country Reagan ever invaded was Grenada. Because when you're strong— you, you end up not having to use military force because people understand that if they mess with you— You will. And, and on the other hand, when, when they think, like Joe Biden, he won't do anything, you get more and more and more violence. There's a reason, Rana, nobody studies— at the Neville Chamberlain School of Foreign Affairs. Exactly. It doesn't work. <laughs> Appeasement yeah. does not work. We yeah. know this. So you, you you have such a great intellect. I love hearing you all the time, but I, I want to switch to something else, which also is a national security yeah. issue. You were a Harvard lawyer. You were a general solicitor. 
And now let's okay, look at you're our. Calling me a Harvard lawyer. That, is I know that that's so sorry. They're going to clip this out. And but run you're not this. woke. You're way back when. <laughs> so um, my dad was one too. So that's a good thing. Um, you look at the southern border. Mm-hmm. You you yeah. understand yeah. rule of law. You understand the purpose of having borders. And you are a scholar of our constitution. What do you think is going on with Texas right now? With yeah. over a million, you said close to two million it's this year. Over might a million, be we're on a path for two million. It is the worst rate of illegal immigration in 21 years, and and we have never seen a president do what Joe Biden is doing, which is simply refuse to follow the law. And and actually, our system doesn't work when you have a president who says, "I won't enforce the law. I don't care." And actually, what's happened on the border? is the domestic equivalent of what's happened in Afghanistan. Exactly. It's the same combination of radical ideology and incompetence married together. And that's a really dangerous combination. What I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have done, and this is true on issue after issue after issue, they've handed the agenda over to the radicals in their party. And the radicals in their party on the, on the border demand open borders, say don't deport anyone. And, and this crisis, it, it's man-made. There were three decisions that caused it. All the first week in office. First week in office, Joe Biden immediately halted construction of the border wall. Mm -hmm. He reinstated the failed policy of catch and release. And most indefensibly, he withdrew from the incredibly successful Remain in Mexico international agreement. We went from – so, you know, part of the talking points of the Democrats is, well, there's nothing they can do. It's a crisis. It's seasonal. That was one of their talking points. Oh, yeah. We know how to solve this problem. The reason we know how to solve this problem is last year, we had the lowest rate of illegal immigration in 45 years because you had a president who would enforce the law. Joe Biden caused this, and what, what's terrifying, he doesn't intend to change anything. No. He's, he has promised the it's, border it will is be open. A, They're going to flood yeah. in, and it's a problem. I mean, from the drugs, from how these these unaccompanied miters are being abused. So There's so much human trafficking. There's so much yes. going on. Several months ago, I took 19 senators down to the border. Uh, we went to the Rio Grande Valley to see firsthand what was going on. I, I saw the, the Biden cages. Wow. Um, kids packed in, little boys, little girls packed in one on top of each other. The rate of COVID positivity was over 10%. Joe Biden's election was literally a super spreader event. They're releasing illegal immigrants with COVID. Um, These kids are being physically assaulted and sexually assaulted by the traffickers. These traffickers are vicious criminals. I'll give you a stat that is stunning. City of McAllen, I'm going to be down in McAllen next week. City of McAllen, in the last seven months, the Biden administration has released over 7,000 illegal aliens with COVID. Wow. The population of McAllen is 141,000. So 5% of the city are illegal aliens with COVID released by Joe Biden. So I'm going to ask a, I'm going to switch to a political question because I hear this from voters all the time. Well, how can we ever win if they're bringing all these illegals and are they going to put them in states that are red states? Are they going to put them in congressional districts? And what would be your answer to that? Look, that's their plan. Part of the reason the radicals in the party support open borders is they want to make every one of those illegal immigrants citizens because they believe they'll vote Democrat. Uh, You know, there's an old joke that there's a politically correct term for illegal immigrant. It's called undocumented Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) That's what these guys believe. The good news, and, and I really do think there's good news, is 
politics is like a pendulum. When one party goes too far, the American people pull back the other way. Biden and Pelosi and Schumer are going not just a little bit left, but radically mm-hmm. left. Yep. And every time I see some dumbass policy from them, which is on a daily basis. Yes, exactly. Look, part of me grieves for the country that we have to endure it. But part of me celebrates that it is accelerating the correction. It is accelerating the country coming back in the direction of sanity. And I think they're making, I think it is very likely we will have a very, very good election in 22 and a very, very good election in 24. I agree. And and the one thing I would say is we just won a mayor's race in McAllen, Texas. Why is that? We've seen huge inroads in Texas with Hispanic Americans who do love this country, who want to see the American dream be real. They are actually watching the Democrats strip that away. And I think they're wrong in assuming that everybody coming across this border would be a Democrat if they become a citizen. Look, if you look at, let's take McAllen, Texas. McAllen has been... uh, Democratic for 100 years. Mm-hmm. We now have a Republican mayor, and it's because the, the people there are seeing this yes. disaster of open borders, this lawlessness, and, and they're reacting. Look, you and I have talked before about there are two broad demographic trends in this country. One is blue-collar voters mm-hmm. are moving to the right. Absolutely. That's moving Midwestern states, mm-hmm. like your home state Michigan, of Michigan, yep. are becoming more Republican. The other has been suburban voters, particularly suburban women, Moving left. Mm-hmm. That's moving states like Georgia, like Arizona, like Texas, like with Texas big suburban and Houston, populations. Yeah. Dallas. They're getting more purple. Whether we win or lose depends on the intersection of those two trends. And and as the Democrats get more and more radical, you want to talk about an agenda to win back suburban women? How about this? Let's not shut down every small business in America. Let's not shut down your schools. Let's not teach your kids critical race theory that America is fundamentally racist, and let's not abolish the police. Yeah. You think maybe let's have our communities be safe. And one other thing, as a mother of a teenager about to go to high school, maybe let's not force our kids who are vaccinated to wear masks. Absolutely. My son just got vaccinated. He got vaccinated. I said, Nash, get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. You will Mm -hmm. not have to wear a mask. Guess what? He's got to wear a mask. He had COVID. So these kids, the moms, we're helpless watching our kids not get the education that they deserve. And when you're under the rule of the authoritarian Democrat Party, who is so quick to take away our freedoms, it's really frightening. And I do think we're winning women back on top of the fact that we're paying a lot more for groceries and gas right now. Uh, Inflation is a ticking time bomb. And and it's it's particularly cruel on people with fixed incomes, on seniors. Listen, if your income stays the same, but when you go fill up the tank, it's 50% more. When you go to the grocery store and buy food for your family, it's 100 bucks more. When you buy lumber, when you buy a house, when you pay your rent, all of those have gone way, way up. And, and that, people are feeling it, people are hurting, and it's going to get worse because they're trying to spend $9.5 trillion. It's crazy. And, and especially in states where they're still getting these unemployment benefits, which is actually incentivizing yes. people to stay out of the workforce. And we, I feel it in my state. You can't go yep. to a restaurant. They're closed. The, the, the dining rooms are closed. Yep. The drive through is closed yep. at 5 p.m. They cannot. And ask any small business owner, are you having a hard time finding somebody to work at your company? Everybody's saying it. So I've been doing roundtables across Texas. So in the last couple of weeks, I've been in, in Midland and Odessa 
and Dallas and Fort Worth and, and Tyler and Wichita Falls and Amarillo and Lubbock and El Paso. I've done roundtables in all those cities. And over and over again, from every small business owner in the room, you hear, I can't hire employees. I, yeah. I, 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 I've got the business, but I can't hire people. And, and uh, you know, I've said a bunch of times, well, 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 funny that when the government pays people not to work, they don't work. They don't work. And, and it is, it, it's a mess and it's a mess everywhere. And then it's creating a supply chain issue. Yep. I mean, there's so much to that. I'm going to flip to another subject that I think is winning women back, but also young voters back to to our party that haven't always identified as Republican, yeah. right? We know yeah. that. This big tech censorship. Yes. You have said big tech censorship is one of the biggest challenges or threats to our democracy. Expand on that. Look, you have a handful of Silicon Valley billionaires that are just brazen. They're using their monopoly power to silence any views they disagree with. And, and, and it's... You know, last night I was in Texas at a big gathering, a youth summit, about 2,000 people there, young people, energized. It was, it was a great, great time. And I talked about, I said, look, for young people, the media tries to portray Democrats as hip and cool and Hollywood and all of that. But right now, the Democrats, they are authoritarian, petty tyrants. They want to control you. They want to silence you. If you don't say what they they want you to say, you're canceled. Yep. If you don't believe what they want you to believe, they'll they'll reject you. And and we have a simple message with young people, which is just freedom. On free speech, say what you want to say. On on religious liberty, believe what you want to believe. It's your faith, your conscience. And and, and you know an analogy I used. So, so I asked asked the folks there. I said, all right, are any of you Star Wars fans? Um, and, and, okay, I'm a big Star Wars okay. fan, so I love this and already. And the room erupted. By the way, my team makes fun of me. They said, Ted, you're too much of a geek because, like, I'm a I'm big a Star Wars geek. fan. Okay, we could do a whole podcast on I, Star Wars. Okay, I, go ahead. I, I, when I was 11 years old, I stood in line with my dad for two hours waiting to see Empire Strikes Back on opening day. Oh, I love it. My mom uh, took me out of school to see I, Return of the Jedi. That's how cool my mom was. Okay, it was a holiday in our house. We're, we're getting out of school. So quick trivia, and then yeah, I'll make a point. All right, do you know in, in Empire when, when Han is getting ready to be frozen yes. in carbonite? So the line, Princess Leia runs up to him and I says, love I you. love you. And he says, I know. The script says, I love you too. Okay. Harrison Ford ad-libbed that. I love it's like the best line. It's such a good ad lib, although I will say a terrible admission. I was about 10, 11 years old. For like a year, when my mother told me I love you, I would say, <laughs> I know. And what a little twit. I, 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 I apologize to my mom. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. I know. I was, it is you know. kind of like the ultimate guy line yeah. for a girl to say I love you. Yeah. And her, I mean, how cool is that? But you need to say I love you right. back. For all the guys it, yes, out there yes, listening. Yes, yeah, this is, is good a, advice. Han did not create a good move. You yeah. need to say yeah. I love you back. So uh, you said Star Wars. So what I group. said is I said, listen, today's Democratic Party they are the emperor. Yep. They are the empire. They are Vader. They're Palpatine. I pointed out Joe Biden is older than Palpatine. <laughs> they want to control you. And we are the rebel alliance. We are a scrappy bunch of rebels fighting for freedom. That is powerful with young people. It is powerful. Yeah. And, and and I think they get it. Yeah. But it is true. And, and the other point I make, and I say this to my kids because they're they're afraid to say that they're yes. Republican to post that what their mom does. I mean, yeah. it's really yeah. real. No, it, and 
when they shut down your thoughts, your actions follow. And, and then you stop thinking differently. Yep. And this, this conforming, it is all leading towards one type of groupthink. We will punish you if you don't think like us. And that is not freedom. That's not what our country is about. And I think kids yeah. are waking up to this, but big right. tech. The power they have. I get asked this it's all pervasive. the time. What do we do? Yeah. What do we do? And I say we got to win back the Senate and the House, we right? We have to win the Senate and the House, and we've got to win the White House. We need to use—there are—so I've chaired multiple hearings on big tech censorship, and it's a huge problem. I think there are three possible remedies. Look, nobody wants a federal government free speech police. That would mm -hmm. be a disaster. But number one— Right now, Big Tech gets a special subsidy through what's known as Section 230 of the Communications Correct, Decency Act. yes. They're immunized for any liability based on what they say. And the reason Congress passed that into law is that Congress believed Big Tech would be a neutral public forum. In other words, they wouldn't be putting a thumb on the scale. You know, if they were simply – if it was other people posting why it wasn't fair to have them be liable and then be sued for what's said on okay, their site. Okay, that makes sense to some degree. That, that was Congress's thinking 20 years ago. Well, big tech has abandoned that. They've decided the, we are going yeah. to censor, and, and so there's no reason they should get a special benefit. They should get corporate welfare that nobody else gets. Exactly. Number two, the antitrust laws. The power that big tech has, they're bigger. They have a bigger market cap than, than Standard Oil did when it was broken up under the antitrust laws. They're bigger than AT&T was when it was broken up. I mean, Amazon just— the data portion of Amazon, which is the biggest part of their yes. business. Yes, And they consume, they get all these small businesses on, and then they just consume their data and then eat these small businesses yep. up. It's yep. crazy. And then third is a theory that sounds in consumer protection or deception. And, and, and you know, phrase simply, look, the basic promise a, a social media company makes to you, the consumer, is if you sign up and you choose to follow someone, you'll see what they post. And if someone chooses to follow you, they'll see what you post. Big tech is lying. They're breaking that promise every day because they've decided if they don't like what you're saying, no, the people we'll who want to follow you, we're not going to let them see it. And we'll do it invisibly. And they are so brazen about it. It is, it is raw and naked power. And right now, with Democrats controlling both the executive branch and the, Demo and the Congress— the Democratic Party is bought and paid for by big tech. They're not going to stand up to big tech. They'll use a little bit of rhetoric, but, you know, we would have hearings and Democrats would basically say to big tech, why aren't you censoring more? How did you let Trump win in the first place? I know. What's wrong? I mean, they well, want that, that's total exactly, And they, their algorithms are hidden. Yep. And we see it all the time yes. at the RNC. Yep. I mean, we see so much of what they're doing. I was shadow banned. You would yep. look up my yep. name and yep. it wouldn't show up. Yep. Um, and then they'd say, oh, it's just a glitch. Well, it's a glitch yeah. that only seems to happen to conservatives, right? It seems to only work against us. But this is a real problem. And I, I you know, we're here today yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. You and I are at a barbecue supporting yeah. a candidate yeah. running for Congress. And I think you understand as well as yeah. I do, this next election, this is Pivotal. this is it. Yeah. This is it. So you're, you're here supporting Ashley Henson and mm -hmm. Kim Reynolds and yeah. Chuck Grassley. And yeah. we know that yeah. a lot's going to go through Iowa. I know you're going to be around the yeah. country. What would you say to people who are discouraged and they say, oh, is it, is it, is it too right. far gone? Can I even turn it back? What would you say right now to somebody? Absolutely, yes, we can turn it back. And, and I'm really deeply optimistic. Um, it took Jimmy Carter to give us Ronald Reagan. 
Carter hadn't been elected. There's no way. Reagan was this crazy cowboy from California. He could never be elected. And Jimmy Carter was such a train wreck. Yeah. That people woke up and said, we need something really different. I, I think Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter 2.0. Oh, yeah. He's I totally agree. Repeating. In fact, it was that same. I actually think that's nice to Jimmy Carter I, to, call, <laughs> to compare him to Joe. I mean, Joe Biden is worse. It, it, it's the same ideological extremism and manifest incompetence married together. And it produces a disaster. And I think Joe Biden is setting the stage for a revival in this country. It's going to start in 22. I think we will win the House of Representatives. I put the odds at retaking the House at about 80-20. I do too. Um, I'm very optimistic. The Senate's closer. Tougher. I yep. handicapped the Senate at 50-50. I think we'll win, but— It depends on if it's a wave— right. And I think it will be a favorable political year. It's a harder map in that we've got more vulnerable Republican mm -hmm. seats up than vulnerable Democrats. But I think we, I think we are very likely to win the House, and I think we've got a really good shot at winning the Senate too. And that, too. that that's a big deal. And then we got to win in twenty four. We've got to get Biden and Harris out of there. Well, I look forward to being on the campaign trail with you a lot because you just get a crowd going like nobody else. I just saw you do it. I have one final, just most important question. Yeah. Can you give me some tips on a podcast? Because you have the best <laughs> podcast. You started it during the Kavanaugh hearings. I've been on your podcast. Any advice? You and I did it together we at did. CPAC. We did. We had such a stage. good time. And by the way, so an interesting bit, when you and I did the podcast, that was the beginning of COVID. It was. I remember. Remember you were exposed to somebody. So, so, so we were at CPAC. We did it on the stage, did it live, which was very cool. Uh, the podcast, by the way, is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Go subscribe, <laughs> go follow, go, go give Verdict it five with Ted stars. Cruz. Yes. Um, but we did it on stage. And then like a week later, I'm back in Houston and Matt Schlapp calls me and says, okay, there was a fellow at CPAC who had COVID and you interacted with him and you did too. And yeah, we in both the green quarantined. Room. We were on the phone talking yeah. to each other. And I was and, like, can you give me tips? And uh, by the way, funny story. So the night I got the call from Matt, so it was a Saturday night. He called me like Saturday late afternoon. That night we had a fundraiser uh, in Houston, uh, and and it was there was an Eagles concert. Oh, I love the Eagles. I love the Eagles. Me and too. So, so I told my team, I said, "Look, I love the Eagles. Why don't we get a suite at the Eagles concert? Like, go do something fun." And I think there there are folks that would be happy to write a check to support the campaign if they could go see an Eagles totally. concert. Totally. So we got a suite at the Eagles. I was really psyched because you know I Desperado brings tears to it's my eyes. It's such a great song. Um, and so we're sitting there. Schlapp calls me, I don't know, 6 o'clock, something like that. He tells me, okay, COVID. And remember, no one, very few people knew what no. COVID was. I mean, yeah. I knew what it was from the threat from China, but it hadn't really come over here yet. And so Heidi comes down the stairs. She's dressed to the nines. I mean, we are headed to the Eagles concert. You've got a babysitter for the girls. And, and I'm like, uh, okay, sweetheart, I, I, I think we can't go. Um, we need to quarantine because I encountered, she's like, what's this COVID thing? She's like, no, you can't do this. People have written checks. They're counting on you. They're there. We can't skip. I'm like, sweetheart, I, I don't know, but, but I may have an infectious disease. It's not nice to them to show up. And so we had to call them and like someone put oh, us on no. the speakerphone and I was like, okay, I'm very, very sorry. Thank you for supporting the campaign, but, but we can't go. Because we got to sit at home. Oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> so we missed the Eagles concert. I love I'm the Eagles. Really I have seen the Eagles in concert. And oh. It was worth it. Oh, I saw them when me. I was in college. I love the Eagles. I, so 
You and I have a lot in common. I want to make and that I, happen again. I also want to see George Strait in concert. And actually, Eric Clapton is coming to Houston in September. Okay. I, 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 I may try to do that, too, just because I've never seen no, Clapton. So That'd just be, be, you know, away from people for a little while. But we're vaccinated. Yeah. We're doing good. Well, I just thank you for doing this. I just think you're great. I told you my son is your biggest fan. My son, Nash, who met you when he was probably 10, he's a Ted Cruz guy all the way. So. Awesome. Just thank you. Thanks for what you're doing to By help. By the way, there's a trick to that. You know, what is when, the trick? When you read Green Eggs and Ham on the Senate floor, <laughs> you do really well with the, the, with the elementary and you know school what? It's de- demographic. Maybe he'll move to Texas and be a voter. <laughs> but uh, just thank you for, for doing this podcast. And thanks for all you're doing to help us be successful in 2022. Well, back at you. Thank you for your leadership. And, and we're fighting to save the country. We are. Yeah. Thanks, Ted. I'm Ronna McDaniel. And this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.